Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 526 of the milk bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show, we'll be having a chat with Amir Chadravatel all about Beecham House, an ITV drama that's just been released on DVD. Dr. Alex from another ITV show, this time it's Love Island. He was one of the contestants last year. He'll be talking about the contestants this year and letting us know about a survey where apparently the youngsters these days are enjoying sunbathing in the buff and making sure that we keep them healthy whilst they do it and get sunscreen in all the right places. We'll be having a chat with Hans Michael Anselmo Hess all about his film score work. We'll have music from Ryan Evans. But first of all, the Litchfield Garrick are playing host to the community musical The Lion, The Witch and The Wardrobe. It all gets going on the 23rd of July. To tell me more now, Johnny McLean joins me. Hello, sir. Hello. Right, so what's going on then? Because this this is big, isn't it? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, certainly, for, it's our biggest community musical yet. It's been in the works for the, with the cast for about four months now. And this is taking to the stage of the Garrick in Litchfield. And what exactly is a community musical then? So, a community musical is where our professional production team come together with members of the community. This time it's 60 cast members and then we have some volunteer technicians as well or assistant stage managers. We all come together and we spend up to about three or four months rehearsing together and putting on a musical on our main stage. So to an audience of nearly 560 people each night and that's generally it in its entirety. <laughs> but, I mean, but this is selling so well. I mean, this is sold better already uh, than uh, any of the previous ones, which gives you something to live up to next year. But it's the whole spirit of this which comes together. And obviously having a community cast in there does mean that mums, dads, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, children are all going to come along and want to see this. But it, it's also it's wider than that, isn't it? Because everyone knows the quality of what they're going to see on that stage. Absolutely, yes. I think the benefit of working with Sort of professional team is the production values are the same as any other professional show you'd see and wonderfully I think due to the talent around in Litchfield the cast as well are up to a professional standard which is just absolutely fantastic some of just the most phenomenally talented performers and what surprised you in your work on this what surprised me I think how magical it really has become I think <laughs> I had ideas in my head and it's been wonderful as the show's gone on, to kind of see each of those ideas come to life pretty much exactly how I imagined it as well, which is just incredible for any production for that to occur. And when you're working on putting this together, uh, I mean, you're the community and education manager down there and directing the show, so you're quite heavily involved in, in every single step of the way. How do you bring Narnia to life and get your cast to believe it so the audience believe what they're seeing? I think for us, the biggest way to bring Narnia to life is to, in our cast as well, really work hard to achieve that sense of wonder. So for some of our, sort of, especially in our technical rehearsals we're having this week, we've been slightly cheeky and held back from showing some of the little effects that we're going to be putting in throughout until the cast are doing it on stage to get that very genuine sense of wonder from them as well. <laughs> <laughs> so they're lovely. So... They're just as surprised when it happens in a tech rehearsal and then they've got something to draw on sort of their own memory of 
being thoroughly amazed by when it happened to them. Because I mean, because a pyrotechnic going off uh, is, is one thing when you just see, oh, this is what you're going to get. But when you see that against the backdrop of the set with the lighting and everything else around it, it really is going to bring it to, to some sort of magical life. Absolutely. I think for this show especially, Narnia is going to be stretching out throughout the whole auditorium. I think the audience will be right there in the thick of it. And as a, thankfully from our cast so far, we've had lots of oohs and ahs as technical <laughs> rehearsals have had. So I'm looking forward to hearing that from the audience as well. And with the, uh, the, the cross-section of the audience, there's going to be adults and kids alike all living these stories. And, and they are such amazing stories in themselves. It is something that everybody knows. 99% of people will have done this at school. Yes, absolutely. And I think what we've I think what we've aimed to do is make a show that although we're aware everybody sort of knows the story and knows what will happen, we've made it I suppose fresh for those young people who'll be coming to see it who might not know what's happened. So we're playing all of the stakes as there should be, no no winks or nods to the audience <laughs> on any certain characters coming back to life at all. Um, so for us spoilers. we put it together as if the audience will have no idea yes spoilers apologies um, but we put it together as if the audience will have no idea because we're really eager for adults as well to have their inner child appeal to and enjoy the magic as well and I think the score especially from the RSC back in 1998 really achieved something magical with that and really brings your own inner child to the forefront well it sounds like it's going to be an absolute treat how do people get hold of the last few remaining tickets calling in to our box office on 01543 412121 or you can go on our website at www.litchfieldgarrick.com and you'll be able to book your tickets there or you can come in in person we also have a BSL signed performance with a wonderful signing interpreter Sarah Gatford on Thursday the 25th of July for anyone who might be interested in seeing that as well so for that those are the best ways to get the last remaining ticket well, it runs as we say from the 23rd through to the 27th of july it is going to be a fun event for all the family the whole community both on stage and part of the audience it's going to be well worth looking at and director john mcclain i know they're going to do you proud as i'm sure you have done throughout the uh, the whole process getting to this point thank you for joining us break a leg have a fantastic time on stage no, thank you for having me in a moment of his time, Ryan Evans will be telling us all about his current EP. But before we have a chat with him about it, let's listen to the title track. This is The Punk Poet. <laughs>
Evans has been appearing all over the place, HMV, singing in parks, the lot. He's got a brand new EP out and he's here to tell me more about what's going on. Hello. Hello, Jason. How are you, mate? I'm very well. And it's been a while since we last had a chance for a catch-up, isn't it? I can't remember how long it's been, but I had hair to my shoulders. I, I probably I? had hair as well, but mine's gone completely. But, <laughs> Was uh, it that long ago? No, it wasn't that long ago. We could fall out. But uh, obviously... Great things on the music front and the EP at the moment. Tell us a bit about that to start off with. Yeah, The Punk Poet came out on Strawberry Moon Records. Mm. I think last time we spoke about it, I yeah. was in the process of recording. It must have been, yeah. And, and where did you record that? Uh, RML Studios mm-hmm. with producer Ryan Pinson, uh, the man, Yeah, of course. <laughs> and you're proud of that, and rightly so. I'm very proud of that EP. Um, it lends its ear to like Slade, T-Rex, um, you know, all the greats, really. But with a modern vibe through it oh, as well? Oh, definitely a modern production. Mm-hmm. With it. Yeah, that was always the... Uh, the way we wanted to go with it. And as far as performing goes, where have you been playing of late? I've been playing all over the place. <laughs> you know, every time we speak, it's, mm-hmm. um, yeah, all over the place. But um, the main focus the last couple of months, um, I've penned the deal with Strawberry Moon Records now. Yeah. So we've done that, because I think last time... It's all been set up, but there, there are good all about, down there, Oh, yeah, they? it was just about getting to know them, really. And then, you know, we get on really well. They've got a lot of contacts themselves, and they really believe in me as an artist, which is the main thing. Well, having their own store as well, just out on the Bridgenorth Road as well, that helps too, because it gives you a, an immediate place your stuff's going to be on sale, and people are going to hear new music there. Exactly, yeah, and I mean, I just encourage people to go down and support that store, because mm-hmm. it's not just because I'm working <laughs> with them, obviously. I mean, it is a great store. It's mm-hmm. got, you've got vinyl in there as well, so it's <laughs> bizarre, you know. So is your recent release being on vinyl, or is that something you're building up to? That's something we're going to be building up to. I think when we get the album in place, mm-hmm. Um, then we'll bring it out on vinyl. Yeah. Although the, the weather we've been having of late could cause it to warp slightly. But I'm, it I'm good. It's yeah. causing my head to warp. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> it's not, not good for you, all this sort of warmth and heat. But we'll battle on through. And you, I mean, tell us a, a bit of the individual bits about the EP. How many tracks? So a five-track EP. Yeah, that's good. Uh, a few of the tracks were quite old songs that I re, rewrote. And, but your, you know, your music does go back a long way. We're talking how long there must be... 15 years it's you've been writing be about 15 years since you were a kid yeah, basically. Well, since I was the age of 3 I started writing my first song uh-huh. um, it wasn't very good I can't <laughs> even remember it but for know, a 3 year old I mean you know but it's something that stuck with me and I don't think I'll ever get bored of songwriting it's just mm-hmm. something that I do every day of my life in between you know gigging and putting myself out there. And so. Yeah, and it, it is about getting out there and it, so is that a full time job at the moment yeah I'm always I'm always writing <laughs> gigging yeah it's just a uh, it, it's part of me, you know. Mm-hmm. It's what it's what I love doing. So. And uh, long may that continue. So, any collaborations going on at the moment, and how how is it all working with anything yeah, else in the pipeline? There's no collaborations. Um, I think I mentioned on BBC WM a few weeks ago that I wanted to collab with Alex Ohm at some point. But Alex is a top uh, fella. Alex is great. He's yeah. got a great voice, great songs, and um, hopefully we can do something like that. Yeah. In the future. Um, but yeah, at the minute, what it's been for me. Uh, since like I penned the deal with Strawberry Moon, mm-hmm. well, I got approached by Strawberry Moon to come down to the Copthorne Hotel 
in Dudley um, and check out all these pictures of Duncan Edwards. Yeah. Um, and to be quite honest with you, I didn't know much background about Duncan Edwards, mm-hmm. but I knew that he was a legend. Yeah. I knew that he played for Man United. One of the Busby Babes. Yeah, and I knew that he also played for England as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, me and Ian Daswell, uh, co-writer on the track, we went down and uh, we got really inspired to write this song and it was it was just instantly just seeing the pictures on the wall and I think for me what it was it was seeing a boy that had a dream mm-hmm. and he achieved the dream and it's reminding me of myself you know like we just we do everything we do to there's a purpose yeah, yeah. definitely and we went away we wrote these songs and it wasn't working at all because it was too forced it was you know and all of a sudden, this track dropped out the sky, as they do, mm-hmm. called 21 Candles. We went back to the studio, we recorded it, and now we've got it, and it's ready to come out. And it's on the Duncan Edwards tribute, Strawberry Moon Records as well. And it's just a really good song. And it's also moving my music into a completely different direction. Yeah, well, with uh, the Man United links there, obviously that's going to potentially be huge, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I'm really excited. I can't, mm-hmm. I mean, in the, in the next few weeks, we've got so many big announcements to announce. And um, I'm just I'm just grateful for everyone for getting behind it. Well, so, but the, it, the thing is, throughout your career, all I've known you do is produce good music. Now, whether there is stuff that you're not sharing with people, that you're not so keen on, it, it, the quality filter might be there, but certainly everything I've ever heard you do has always been really good. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot for that, yeah. But um, this track is just... It's great. So, uh, yeah, but it, 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 you can't share that with us yet, though, can we you? We can't share it no, with it's, you. No, it's, um, it's a secret It will be now. available for pre-order in August. Yeah. And then August the 26th, mm-hmm. which is a bank holiday Monday, we're doing a big show at a Sadler's Brewery. Um, and that's going to be the first time people can listen to the song live. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to that. So tickets are now on sale. You can get those through Strawberry Moon Records, yeah. social... Duncan Edwards tribute and my own pages as well. Okay, so give us all the socials and web pages too. Yeah, so mine's Ryan Evans UK on Instagram and Twitter, and it's Ryan Evans official on Facebook, and it's Strawberry Moon Records. They're all over the place yeah, all as well, everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, uh, Duncan Edwards tribute website, Facebook as well. Just search for that one. Um, yeah, and all the updates will be on there in the next few weeks. Okay, check all of that out. Meanwhile, though, back to the EP. Remind us of the name of it. The Punk Poet. And this has been selling well. Oh yeah, it um, outsold Ed Sheeran. <laughs> in HMV. In, in Wolverhampton. Yeah, in Wolverhampton. Not, not worldwide. No. That, 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 that will come. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. I think that weekend was ginger power, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, you know. People were queuing up for selfies and signed CDs, which I just blew my mind, you know. Yeah, but it, it, it's a little bit stardom. And uh, yeah, long may this it's continue. Nice to much get more the recognition, to go. isn't it? You know, yeah. when you've been working really hard on a project mm-hmm. for people to say, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Um, last month I picked up the Black Country Music Award. Best singer songwriter as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's coming together, which it, is the way we like it. But it's not. You've worked blooming hard for all of this, haven't you? I have worked really hard. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to hear you do uh, a live track. What are you going to do? I was going to do a cover for you today. Right, but um, you changed your mind. Th- no, I'm still going to do, do it. A yeah, okay, yeah, you still going to do it? Okay, you said you were. But okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to do "Keep On Running" by the Spencer Davis Group. Okay, we'll my, take my, a listen to that. My version. And right. you've changed this about a bit. It's your own arrangement. Yeah, it's a bit more chilled. Okay. Um, and then, so maybe go for a little jog rather than a full sprint. Yeah. Is that what we're looking at? We might, we might all fall asleep. To be okay, anything could happen. Yeah. Right, it's always good to have, to have a chat oh, with you. Great to see you. Keep on running. Keep on hiding. One fine day, I'm going to be the one to make you understand. 
Ryan Evans with a lovely version of Spencer Davis Group's Keep On Running here on The Milk Bar. ITV's Beecham House is now available on DVD. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Amir Chadha Patel. Hello, sir. Hello. So uh, what's going on then? Because this is in part billed as a kind of Indian Downton Abbey. Yeah, it's very much a upstairs-downstairs drama of British style, but it's set in pre-colonial India. So a palette that we're not normally used to. But uh, in a different time to what we're used to seeing a lot of these things as well, because we're set a little bit earlier than the likes of Downton, aren't we? 
Yeah, it was set in pre-colonial India, so um, 1795, 18th, 18th century. What is the start of the story? If, we, if people haven't seen this on ITV, where, where does this begin? So it begins with a very intriguing, mysterious Englishman. Um, and you, I guess you have to remember at this time, there weren't English people in Delhi uh, because this was pre-colonial. So there were French troops, but not English. And so a very mysterious Englishman turns up to a house that hasn't been lived in for a long time with an entourage. Um, to set up a life for himself and it's all the talk of the town because the people working in the house just can't understand who he is why he's there and he's shrouded in mystery and he arrives with an entourage including myself a character called Rama who's a very imposing and tall sort of bodyguard character and two um, women who are sort of serving girls not really serving girls the, the, the term is ayas which means they're looking after baby and a mixed race baby appears and it's all very mysterious in a time when uh, a white face in india would probably not be trusted at all no definitely not an english face there, there were there were french troops working with the mogul empire um but india was an unstable place with huge resources of cotton and wool and gold and it was a resource rich country and everybody kind of wanted a piece and it, the east india trading company were definitely not behaving <laughs> nicely, if mm. I can if I can say that so much. And in the, in the Mughal Empire was very aware of that, so British faces were distrusted heavily. And and this is yeah, before things really turned into a case of pillaging the land. I mean, during colonial times, a lot of things were taken. So this is just a taste of what was to come, really. Yeah, I mean, and this 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 show goes into that for sure, um, but not uh, as heavily. Um, it's it's all a slow build as to like how this started this this process of England sort of taking control of India and its resources, because India wasn't a, uh, India was a huge country with a huge population and England at the time was very small comparatively, um, so it's quite a remarkable story. And it's 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 amazing what what did happen, what went on, and what the British really got away with. Yes. Absolutely, and, and that, this was this was definitely much my one of the main reasons I wanted to be in this. The English, the English school syllabus, English history it doesn't really touch on how India was colonized. It touches on the colonies themselves, and you know railways and how England left India, but never talks about how it started. Probably because no one's too proud of it. But this is the first time someone's, uh, you know, Grinda, a director and creator, is, is, is someone has attempted to try and tell the story, or, or from from various perspectives. So very interesting. Absolutely, and with the romance of secrets, the thrills that uh, go throughout all of this, uh, it mm. runs uh, alongside uh, a very human story uh, with some very inhumane treatments of a nation. Absolutely, absolutely. But all told through the eyes of you know very relatable characters, which is the secret of a good drama. So you've got a, you've got a, you know, you almost everyone in this house. There's a variety of people that you could sort of see viewing this world and, and these big changes. So really quite interesting. And this is a six-part series, uh, but like Downton, is this going to, to run and run? We hope so. Yeah, <laughs> we hope for 45 series and 39 Well, absolutely, because you've got a much bigger period of history to work out here and an amazing story to tell. And one thing, as we've already touched on, that we need to, to, to know about. Our two great nations now of India and Britain uh, have you know, mm. not always treated each other as equals. And, and that is something which I think a, a greater understanding will help us see where we are with the Commonwealth and how lucky we are now. 
Yeah, and you know England's uh, attitude to immigration, and you know how this country, because it's a remarkable country, and I owe it my life because I've lived here my whole time. Um, but but how it became the nation it did, it was built on the back of an empire, and it's it's important to understand that. I don't think it's about pointing the finger or blaming at this point. It's about let's learn our history because it's important. Yeah, and I think we're fortunate now that the bulk of the former empire countries are actually doing pretty well compared to some of their nearest neighbours who weren't part of the empire, but they certainly paid a massive price for it. Mm, absolutely, yeah. It's a vast chess game, I think, and it's really interesting to look at. Grindel also made a film called Viceroy's Howard, which, which sort of deals with the, the other bookend of this period of history, which was England leaving India and um, doing partition, you know, carving the country up. And that mm-hmm. is also fascinating, I think, you know, between these two, this series and this film, there's a wealth of history in there. So, fingers crossed, season two will be with us soon. But, I mean, this is a little while since this was all uh, filmed. It was back in the autumn of last year you were working on this. Yeah. And, uh, and and at the time, did you realise quite how, how big a project it was going to be? It, it felt very exciting. You know, it's always billed as ITV big Sunday evening drama. So we knew there was a, a certain... Uh, bar that we had to match in terms of production but but once we started shooting the scale of it really came came through because it was so lavish and so beautifully shot and a huge set build in Ying Studios and then two months in India it was it was quite quite amazing production to be be part of it was a lot of like pinching the arm every now and then (laughs) just being yeah and we're talking of a time when the the rich in India would have been very rich, and the uh, the, the way in which that opulence comes across on screen is one of those things that it must have been a great fun trying to reflect. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it's, it's it's so vibrant. What you know, what watching the scenes in palaces and with the emperor and his um, wife and their children and the entourages and all the the various locations you see, it's just rich with colour and. Uh, fauna and greenery and it's, it's quite it's quite an incredible palette to, to, to look at yeah we're looking out for this on dvd it's, it's, it's available as a six-part set and it is one that people will want to sit down and watch but equally to, to re-watch because uh, it's the detail that's in there that they're going to want to pick up on uh, by, by with a, probably a, at least a second maybe a third viewing absolutely you spend the first viewing just looking at the drama and then the second viewing just looking at the scenes because it's every shot is stunning really beautiful it's very evocative of like a a lush holiday. It's the closest you get to holiday if you can't go away. <laughs> That's the job. And, and and are these areas that you'd visited in the past? Yeah, I've been to Rajasthan before, um, but I've never. India is such a big country; mm-hmm. it's unbelievable when you get there. The scale of it is shocking, and I've travelled around and jumped from place to place, but I never spent two months in one location. And even though we were moving around Jaipur, which is in Rajasthan, I was there for two months pretty much, and I uh, really get a sense of the country and how it operates and the vast, um, you know, it's a country of, of, uh, what's the word? Uh, It's a very, very disjointed country in terms of like its differences between its rich and poor and and a vibrant life that's there, but it's a really incredible place to be and to experience. And how were you received as a Brit over there? Yeah, it's a strange thing. I mean, I I had a moustache and sideburns for the entire time I was there. So (laughs) even when I wasn't in costume, I looked very local. But uh, yeah, India, India is a very open country. I think people maybe have a preconception about it that it's not. But I think as an Indian person who speaks primarily, who speaks English primarily, I'm, I'm interesting to them. But I'm not a new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's like going back to my, you know, my motherland, my heritage. And so there's a two-way relationship of intrigue, I think. And uh, have uh, you have previous generations of your family who've lived in the UK talked to you about the some of the past before you went over there? 
Yeah, well, um, my family uh, were involved in partition, um, which was when uh, Pakistan was created and the north of India was divided in half. And so my family, my family, Punjabi, Pakistani, so they, they actually moved through um, during that quite a traumatic time. Um, and so, uh, you know, I knew a lot about the country, but I also knew my own history. And then I was also getting to go and be part of the program that was going to explore how that happened. So the whole thing was very, very personal and enjoyable to, to do, but, but could be quite hard at times. Absolutely. And uh, what do you think you, that you've learned from this that maybe you hadn't realised before? I, I mean, I just didn't know the extent to, to the Mughal Empire and the connection between the French and the Mughal Empire and uh, how England made its way across the country. And we all did lots of research into that period as well, just to, to feel up to date and read books that Grinder had recommended. And I mean, it's assumed that I would know my own heritage, but the reality is it's just so complex. And it was really amazing experience to, to, to learn that and to spend time, de- you know, as a job, have the opportunity to learn it. It was, it was really great. Well, Beecham House has now been released on DVD. You can get a copy from the, the usual outlets. Well worth checking out the story and starting to live your life alongside uh, some uh, amazing drama. As you say, there's romance in there. It's got something for everybody, hasn't it, pretty much? Absolutely, yeah. It's chock-a-block. And, and probably the biggest cliffhanger ever. Okay, there in we go. Six. <clears throat> uh, a little tease for you, and uh, we'll find out what happens in Season 2. Uh, yet there will be many more, I'm sure, as we continue to tell this story from uh, a British-Indian perspective. It's going to be uh, very intriguing to, to see how this pans out, because, as I say, we may have the history in the, already in the books, but we don't necessarily know it, because it isn't something that's been taught the way in which it probably ought to be. Beecham House will be in education. For now, Amir Chada Patel, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Time for another tune from Ryan Evans. Now, this is You Don't Know My Name.
Brian Evans and You Don't Know My Name here on The Milk Bar. Hans Michael and Summer Hess has been working on a number of film projects of late. He is a composer and he is on the line with me now. Hello, sir. Hello. How are we doing? Good, good. I know recently you've been working on the film Clownface. Uh, this has been doing great things. And you've already started winning awards for this particular piece of work. Yeah, actually, the awards is even go back to the time from previous projects, mm -hmm. especially when I did a short film called Ex Demiurgus. So that went pretty well. And then I started, well, let's just start putting my films to uh, awards. And then after that, I started putting as well was Carnival Sorrows, mm -hmm. which actually Carnival Sorrows was the one that led to Clownface, and as a consequence to sustain as well. No. So give us a bit of your background. How did you come to film composing in the first place? Film composing wasn't the first option. It was uh, I started actually as a classical guitarist. Mm -hmm. So I did a BA in, in music performance and classical guitar because I always love a lot the the sound of, of the instrument. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do a degree on that. But then I was in the car with my sister and she was listening to a tape. And the tape was actually the soundtrack of Amy Morricone for the mission. Uh -huh. And I remember there was a particular cue that um, I think was the second of the, the track of the album. And that really stuck in my mind, you know, because it was a very melancholic and repetitive and beautiful. And that was something that I remember that quite struck on, on me. But I just knew it was just music for a film, you know. And then as I was into composition, I joined bands and things, just being self-taught. You know, I started to grow the interest, you know. I like another soundtracks that were very influential was uh, The Braveheart. And I remember listening a lot while I was doing my degree. And, I, and then I got others as well. Um, there was um, Independence Day was another one that you know they were talking like the nineties. That was when I was doing my first BA degrees. Then remember you know like I like listening a lot to um, guitar concertos, so you know the involvement with the orchestra. Mm -hmm. And then later on, much later than I thought, like no, I think um, I want to pursue this career. You know, looks great. Um, you get to, to use the orchestra. Um, I was fascinated by music technology as well because I, were, I am from that generation where actually I saw computers becoming powerful. I yep. remember that. Mm -hmm. And computers that could play music that sounded like real music rather than computer games. Although the computer games, uh, one thing, that's a good point actually. I do like games. I don't play I rarely play now, but I was very into that mm -hmm. you know, at a young age. And I love the soundtracks. I thought the soundtracks were amazing. And when I, when people were sort of slagging them off, it's just because, of course, you know, the, 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 the sound banks that they had at the time, it was what they could use with it, you mm -hmm. know. So it was an 8-beat. So I think it was still extraordinary music, but it's just the, the, the timbre. Because of the timbre, it was like being receiving lots of prejudice, but uh, I'm a very fan of video game music, so I'm glad nowadays it has found its place, so. Absolutely. It's, one, it's actually, it's, it's one of the most profitable careers, media composers, you know, like mm -hmm. they, I think in the UK, it reaches billions of pounds, you know, mm -hmm. every year, so it's, it's big. 
you know, they use nowadays they don't use a beat sound, they use <laughs> real orchestras, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and through what can be done with the amount of data that's moved around these days, you can have a full sound without mm -hmm. all that the uh, MIDI files creating some of the yeah, most irritating sometimes music in the world, but still that had to be composed by somebody. So I mean, what brought you to the UK in the first place? The UK was like this. I, I got this obsession of since I was a teenager that I want to do my postgraduate studies in music abroad. Mm -hmm. So when the time was coming, I started to search. Um, in my initial idea was to go to the United States, but of course it was, and I think still very expensive. Um, then I thought, well, I have an European passport, so why not Britain? Because I speak English, uh, although at the time was more American accent. <laughs> Um, and then I started to prepare myself for it. And then I remember that I did a lot of searches and I found about the city of Bristol. And the city of Bristol, I mean, I remember when I, when I read Bristol, it was like, Bristol, that name is ringing the bell somehow. I was interested, I didn't know why, and I still don't know why it rang the bell at the time. And then I uh, accepted and said, okay, let's go there. So I packed it up, you know, almost everything I needed for a migration move, mm -hmm. I did, and uh, after that, it was interesting, because again, the MA was good, it was one intense year, when I finished, I also had this, because I had this, ah, I want to do, you know, the MA, and then I want to do a PhD, yep. so I ended up doing a PhD in film uh, musicology, which was something that, oh, it was much more tougher than I thought. <laughs> because um, it involved, you know, lots of research. And I had a vision about that that was a little bit <laughs> naive at the time. Uh, so it was really tough because I had to concentrate a lot on the research and uh, I ended up not being able during that period. I couldn't be working that much in the industry. Mm -hmm. That's why when sometimes people ask me, oh, so when did you start it? I said, actually, for my second renaissance, <laughs> which it began more in 2014. Well, you've been working on some great Midlands movies. Clownface is out there now. Sustain is on the verge of release. And you must be proud to be part of these. And I know talking to the director of Sustain, how pleased they are with the way in which the soundtrack comes together. And uh, Troy was telling me he actually watched the film through with none of the dialogue, just the music, and how that had really brought the film to life for him. Well, for me, it was also uh, another pleasure because I ended up coming to this project through a reference because Alex Bourne mm -hmm. from Clownface, he suggested me to Troy and Dave because they were looking for someone else. And he was trying to, you know, to... to to put me in and then I talked to them and then of course you know always a new director is uh, it's a new thing you know because you want to know if the chemistry is going to work well mm -hmm. that's the most important thing I think when you get into a project you know whether or not you're going to get along and people will you know the filmmakers will be able to to communicate well because sometimes I had very few uh, bad experiences so of course for me it was okay how's that going to happen and um, then I was very glad it was, you know, working with uh, Dave and Troy was excellent. Talking about that, uh, about the effect of the music, I have to say, yeah, I mean, I'm always very 
proud of of uh, how these things happen. Mm-hmm. I will say because um, well, it's um, it's something that comes back to when I did music. The reason I did music was because um, I was always very passionate about passionate. I would say no. I would say intrigued mm-hmm. by the communication of power the music has. So. Um, for me, it was the same thing, but that I would be able to do it in film music. So, you know, of course, when I, when I was doing the cues, I wanted to just get a better translation of the story, mm-hmm. of the visuals into the music. And also, you know, um, the vision, vision from uh, Dave of what he wanted to come across. So... Um, I think that's what um, film music has to do very well. You know, it's just translating those metaphors because mm-hmm. you're, you're gonna watch this. You're watching a movie, and then you're like, okay, well, well, what does it that? What does that mean? You know, in terms of music, and we all have different listening experiences, and from those listening experiences, you're gonna add meaning to that. Well, the, the soundscape of a film is vitally important, as you say, to telling that story. That is going to be the case with Sustain when we see it, and Clownface is already out there. Where can people go to find out more about you and your music? Well, people can go to my uh, website, so that's um, hansmichaelanselmohas.com, or even easier, you can go to Spotify as well. So go to Hans Michael Hass, H-E-S-S, and I'm there already doing my release and doing lots of other releases now of this uh, feature films I worked mm-hmm. and other projects as well. And uh, yeah, people will be able to find a lot about more of my sounds there as well. Well, we're going to take a listen to one of the film okay. soundtracks now. What are we going to have a listen, little listen to? One has been people been talking about the Joey's, Joey's theme from Cloudface. Hans, thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your music. We look forward to hearing more from you as you continue your film career. Thank you very much.
That's Zoe's theme from Clownface, the music of Hans Michael and Samo Hess here on the Milk Bar. Almost a third of Brits admit to sunbathing in the buff, with 29% enjoying skinny dipping. However, this can cause a problem with a bit of uh, redness in all the wrong areas. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Dr Alex George, Love Island contestant from 2018. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. Hi, how are you? Oh, good here. And uh, you were pilloried a bit in the press for the way in which your photosensitivity acts up during the sun. So you know a thing or two about making sure you've got the factor 50 on at all times. Yes, I do, 100%. I think this research by Hotels.com is quite interesting, to be fair. I'm quite surprised to see that almost a third of Brits have sunbays in the buff. And also a similar number have dared to bear for cheeky little skinny dip as well. So... Um, clearly, we're becoming more liberal. Uh, maybe the trends on social media are leading the way, but people are enjoying getting the kit off, uh, you know, bearing all to catch a bit of sun. Around a quarter of people um, are quite scared about burning their bits. So, yeah, it is important to, to make sure we cover up and protect those um, more sensitive areas. When it is the boys who are the boldest, with 37% admitting to bronzing in the buff, uh, with just 26% of women, and uh, when it comes to dangly bits, uh, it can be quite dangerous, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, areas like that don't see the sun very often uh, and therefore, you know, exposure to sunlight, there's quite a high risk of, uh, of burning those areas. So using uh, high factors is important uh, to protect your, your private parts. Yeah, and however dark your skin is when you start, you need to make sure you're protecting it from the sun, whatever happens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, regardless of your skin tone or skin type, um, protecting against UVA and UVB is very important because, of course, you know, sunlight can age your skin. It's not just the, the fears of skin cancer. It's also the aging process that can occur with sunlight. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we're very liberal now as a country. You know, us Brits are... are, are are catching the rest of the world in that way and, and, and there's nothing wrong with having fun and enjoying. Obviously not being uh, uh, nude in the wrong areas but in the right, in the right places on the nudist beaches and things uh, you know, skinny dipping, having fun, why not? Just just be a bit careful with the sun cream. Yep, and we do have nudist beaches in the UK there's of course across the globe but people are also using their back gardens. If they're not overlooked they're relaxing in the buff there too. Yeah, absolutely and why not? Why can't we do that? Absolutely. It's just uh, just being a little bit careful while while having all that fun. So is this something that you get up to? Do you know what? It was once I was uh, in the Pyrenees Mountains in icy cold uh, rivers and I did decide to have a cheeky skinny dip, but it was rather a chilly experience, that I must say. <laughs> so nothing was going to get caught by the sun then? It was all a bit too cold for that? No, there wasn't too many fears there, but absolutely, I, I'll, I'll definitely be very careful if I do get tempted in the future. And the, the worrying statistics though, are that 7% of people never wear sunscreen at all, and uh, yeah, two-fifths of 18 through 24-year-olds are not aware it's even possible to get sunburnt down there. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of people don't realise that you can actually fry the, the private parts with, with the sun. And, you know, like any other part of our body, it's, it is very important uh, to protect your skin. You know, in the UK, we are a bit guilty of, you know, being great when we're going abroad and, and covering up with sun cream, but being a little bit lax when we're having our British summertime here in the UK. So it's, it's just so important to make sure that we are topping up the, the sun cream using high factor SPF 13 above uh, with a UVA rating of at least four star to make sure we're adequately protecting our skin. So and often it's the, the kids as well that we need to make sure we're thinking about because they're the ones who are likely to run around and keep under control so something waterproof if they're dipping in and out the sea is vital. Yeah absolutely it's so important to make sure that um, when you're going in the water uh, that you're reapplying uh, sun cream especially with children just don't take any risk use the highest factor uh, sun cream and, and protect their sensitive skin and uh, obviously uh, 
it's it's different for everybody as we know from your experience uh, with the photosensitivity caused by some of the medication that you've been on in the past uh, that is a, a particular factor and it is important that when we are taking medication or that we do think about this even more carefully yeah absolutely i was taking medication that made my skin so sensitive as you said and um you know being aware of, uh, of of those predispositions even if it's just you know in terms of how pale your skin is or whether you're taking medication being aware of that and taking time out of the sun as well you know if it's the hottest time of the day just just give yourself a little little break in the shade and you know wear hats and things because actually you know burning isn't that pleasant at all and imagine what it's like to to burn your bottom i mean hotel hotel.com found that um you know, nearly 20% of people have actually ended up uh, red-cheeked in the wrong place. So um, <laughs> not something you want to happen. No, it can make the flight back a little uncomfortable. Yes, it can, Yeah, especially if it's a long flight. Can you imagine? Yeah, blisters and all sorts. That would be particularly nasty. And oh, it, 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 it's been a good few years since uh, I've been caught out like that. I was probably in my, my uh, teens when that happened to me and got very badly sunburnt shoulders. But... I don't have much hair, so uh, I have suffered from a particularly sunburnt forehead in the past, so I do make oh, sure man. I have. But sunstroke really can be debilitating. It's not just a sunburn that can be the problem. No, absolutely. Sunstroke can be very unpleasant. Um, people, particularly when they're abroad, can uh, become dehydrated, spend a lot of time in the sun, and you can end up feeling dizzy with headaches. Some people even can get almost like fever-type symptoms. And, yes, yeah, sunstroke can be really, really unpleasant. So, yeah, just make sure that you are keeping hydrated, drinking plenty of water, have a water bottle with you, and, uh, yeah, give yourself time out of the sun. Um, you know, we sometimes go abroad and go, right, I've got to spend every second out there, you know, catching as much sunlight as I can. Just take a break. Give yourself a couple of hours out and, and look after yourself. And I can't let you go without just uh, checking in with you on your thoughts on 2019's Love Island. Have you had favourites in there? Um, I've really enjoyed the show this year. It's been absolutely, absolutely fantastic. I think that... Tommy and Molly May will win it, and I think they're great characters, so I hope they do. Well, yeah, it's been uh, another great season and some uh, really good fun for everyone watching on TV. And, uh, of course, when they think about it back out in the wide world, they need to make sure they are you know, sunscreening up without being reminded by the production team. So where can we go to find out more information? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, particularly the fact that they've got to keep the shorts on uh, on the show. They might not want to do so when they get off. So um, <laughs> if people want to find out more, then they should head to um, hotels.com. Uh, they've been working with the British Skin Foundation as well, so they've got some really great advice uh, for those who are heading out and might want to bear all. Okay, hotels.com is where we're heading to, and uh, we're probably going to find you in a nudie speech somewhere now, aren't we? You've got the bug for it, I'm going to guess. Absolutely, I'm caught now, yeah. <laughs> Dr Alex George, Love Island contestant from last year. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, mate. Take care. Time for a final tune now from Ryan Evans. This is Old School. Keeping on Yesterday's news was a man In love He held at the world from the cart That broke his heart Called home to bloodlines As the heavens opened in war First light, they're tied The trend 
she's awake Now they took him away from me But I know just exactly to find him Every world swept away from me I was left on the ground Tell me what you hear, son We're from the old school There's nothing like old fools I'm drifting away too When you're high on the beach And the tide's coming in by the wall We're from the old school Now it's time To pass down your tales to sons of mine I still see your reflection mother's eyes Now they took him away from me But I know just exactly to find him Every world swept away from me And I was left on the ground Tell me what you hear son Cause we're from the old school There's nothing like old fools I'm drifting away too When you're high on the beach And the tide's coming in by the wall When you're high on the beach And your soul swept away in the swirl We're from the old school There's nothing like old fools Cause we're from the old school There's nothing like old fools Tell me what you hear, son Cause we're from the old school There's nothing like old fools I'm drifting away too When you're high on the beach And the tide's coming in by the wall When you're high on the beach and your soul swept away in the swirl, oh, oh, oh. We're from the old school. There's nothing like old fools. We're from the old school. There's nothing like old fools. 
Cause we're from the old school. Old school from Ryan Evans here on the Milk Bar, and we've had a great time listening to all of his tracks. Do check out everything that's going on. You can pick up a copy of that EP in HMV in Wolverhampton, or all the social details he gave you earlier on, which will lead you to links so you can get your copy there too. But that's your offer this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Back with episode 527 next week. Look forward to having you along then. See you soon. Good afternoon. Goodbye from the milk bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.